Good morning. You're going to really need your Bible this morning, and if you have a copy of God's Word handy, would you be turning to 1 Kings chapter 11? 1 Kings chapter 11, and we'll begin there in just a moment. I actually kind of begin where we left off last week. We'll get there in just a second. Uh, we appreciate you being here this morning. Thankful to the crowd that we have, any visitors who are in our midst. We're a little out of our routine, as we usually are on this Sunday uh, or in the week leading up to VBS, and it's a little odd, a little different. Appreciate everyone kind of trying to roll with the punches. Appreciate your uh, patience and everyone's help. Appreciate our teachers in particular, Lisa and, and Amanda and a few others were kind of had to move around this morning as our classrooms are decorated, but uh, we're a little out of the normal, but we appreciate uh, your patience going through that, even as we have our stage. Uh, sort of set up here as we usually do. This is the one Sunday where leading up in the week, my kids always ask me, well, how are you going to preach? You know, and I was like, well, I don't have to stand there. That's not the only place I can stand to preach. So I get to awkwardly kind of move around uh, a little bit. But no, we're just thankful that we have an opportunity to do something like this. And thank you for uh, being a part of it. We hope that you'll be back, as Jerry said in the announcements. Uh, we have a great afternoon planned. If you are helping, uh, if you're not helping, there's still time to help. We could always use a few more hands, not only after we eat lunch, but as we set up, we'd love to have you be a part of our afternoon. And you can see Hannah or myself, and we'd love to put you to work with, with a few things that are left to do and even uh, some of the things that will be going on during our Vacation Bible School. We're just thankful, uh, again, for the opportunity to do this. And don't forget, of course, the lunch that we'll have. If you'd like to stay, we'll have pizza. Uh, we'll have lots of pizza. We'll have salad, uh, desserts and drinks. You can hang around for that. And then we'll have a to-do list of things that need to get finished up before 1.30 very quickly, but we'll get started on that. We'd love to have you hang around. Uh, also, of course, I've already been given a hard time. The kids said, how are you going to preach? There's no outline in the bulletin. But if you have a bulletin in front of you, uh, you'll notice a bit of our schedule. And again, if you have any questions, you can see us. Uh, but it kind of gives you an idea of what will be going on. Our teens are going to be helping when, during the first hour or first 45 minutes to hour act out some of the skits and the stories that we'll have going on. If you know of a teenager that's coming, we'd love to have them, uh, and they can either sit here in the auditorium class during that first time, or they can go around and watch the stories with some of the younger kids, that's fine, but then you see a little bit later on the schedule that there will be a teen class in the second part of the afternoon, and certainly the adults will have one class, and then as we know around here, we don't want any kind of riot on our hands. The adults will get snack time as well, uh, so the adults will have a little break and snack time and then come back and have a second class and so we've got a full day with everyone being involved and we hope that you can uh, be a part of that last week we took a look at king solomon and if you have your bible i ask you to turn to first Kings chapter 11 and you may recall as we talked about solomon that we talked about the fact that that solomon had and he had a lot of things during this time he had a lot of stuff he had a lot of ideas he had a lot of wisdom it wasn't all bad but solomon certainly had a lot of things and we kind of stopped there and I didn't even really intend for it to be this way but as I was thinking about a lesson for this morning I thought well we certainly want to set the stage the foundation for the rest of the day and the afternoon and so if you have your Bible there you'll notice that you're in first Kings 11 you don't have to turn ahead just yet but we're going to get this afternoon to first Kings 17 because that's where we meet Elijah the Tishbite and that, of course, is who we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this afternoon, Elijah and Elisha. 
And so before we uh, begin the afternoon, I thought it'd be helpful if we laid a bit of a foundation. I'm going to be honest, this is going to be a bit of a different lesson. There's not going to be three points as there usually is supposed to be, right, in all sermons. There's not even necessarily going to be an application. I do want to make you think a little bit as we conclude the lesson, but I don't even intend for there to be three points and an application and then the lesson is yours. I'd really just like to have a bit of a history lesson and to lay a bit of foundation as we lead into or lead out of what took place in Solomon and lead into what's going to take place with Elijah. Now, before we even get to 1 Kings chapter 11, do you recall the periods of dispensation of time as we usually refer to? You remember in the book of Genesis, for the most part, there was the time when God spoke to the fathers. We call it the patriarchal, the patriarch dispensation because God communicated with the fathers what they needed to do, what they needed to know how it was that they were supposed to sacrifice, how it was that they were supposed to be pleasing to him. But then the second dispensation, we lead from Genesis and the fathers up to Moses. And we think about the, we think about the book of Exodus, we think about the giving of the law there at Mount Sinai, and the idea that then for a very long period of time, there was going to be the law of Moses that the children of Israel were going to live under. Now, that goes, of course, from Mount Sinai there, from the law of Moses, all the way up into the cross. We're, we're certainly not going to talk about it until we get to the end, but the third dispensation, the time that we're currently living in, is the Christian age or the Christian dispensation. We live under the law of Christ. We don't sacrifice. We don't live under the Ten Commandments per se, although many of those things we should still live by. Uh, we, they're good, good rules of, of life, good ways of living, things that we should do. Do not murder, do not lie. Sure, we don't need to do those things still, although we don't live under the Ten Commandments. So we've got the patriarchal and the Christian, but we're going to think about that Old Testament period, period of the Mosaical dispensation. But here's the key. If you know your Bible history, you're a little familiar with this, but here's the key. Even though they lived under the law of Moses for a good period of time, there were different leaders, so to speak, right? We think about Moses living for a good long time. We think about Joshua. But in Judges chapter 2, in verse number 16, we think about the death of Joshua. Joshua, we, we talked about Joshua back in the earlier part of the year with lads to leaders. And we talked about how he was a great leader of the children of Israel. But we come to Judges chapter 2, and after the death of Joshua, the Lord raised up judges. You see, they're still living under the Mosaical dispensation by the law of Moses, but the Lord has now raised up judges who are going to, who are going to lead them in a sense. Uh, they're not judges as we think of judges per se, just simply sitting and ruling and making decisions on cases and that kind of thing. But if you know the period of judges, it was always the cycle, right? The people would fall away from God. God would raise up a judge. They would come back to God, but not too much later they would fall away. And as we're going to talk about a lot today and this morning, that's exactly the way that we live. We read the book of Judges and it's so condensed that we shake our head and we get frustrated and we say, why in the world would anybody act like that? Why would anybody be obedient, then be disobedient, then get reprimanded, then be obedient again, and yet that's what we often do in our life? Not the same way that they did, but we certainly act like that. Our children act like that sometimes. They're obedient for a period, but then they're also disobedient, and then we have to reprimand them, and they come back. The Judges is a great study, the period of the Judges. I appreciate Heath. Heath's been one that's taught our kids the song of the Judges, and there's a lot of great stories that go through that time. But the Lord raised up Judges, and the last of those Judges was Samuel. Now, go in your Bible again to 1 Kings chapter 8 this time. 
the book of 1 Kings, but 1 Kings chapter 8. The last judge was Samuel. Excuse me, I said 1 Kings. I meant 1 Samuel, I think. I'm going to get there in just a minute myself. First Samuel chapter 8. Because the, the children of Israel have been ruled by judges. And Samuel is going to be the last judge. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, 1 Samuel chapter 8, the children of Israel then demand a king. If you'd like to underline or circle, I'm going to give you several notations today that you might want to make. If you're like me, I don't like to mess up my Bible, right? I don't want to, like, you know, have to go back and mark things out. So maybe you want to make a mental note or another note. You can go back and do it later. But in 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 4, 5, and 6, great verses to underline or highlight. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king. Now here's another word depending on the version. The New King James says make us a king to judge. So once again, don't get hung up in the words that are used exactly or, or what they're doing, but they want a king. They demand a king. And of course, it's interesting that the last part of verse 5 reminds us of why they want the king. So that we can be like everyone else. That's what they want. They want to be like everybody else. And so Israel demands a king. And with this point forward, and this is another great thing, and I heard this suggested one time, and I have it down in my Bible. I know you won't be able to see it, of course. But down, beginning in chapter 10, I have the word Saul written, <coughs> excuse me, with an arrow going forward. <coughs> because this period begins the United Kingdom. For 120 years, the children of Israel are going to live under one king in a United Kingdom. Those kings, of course, are Saul and David, and as we finished last week, Solomon. Each one is going to reign for 40 years, and you can always mark in your Bible Saul to David, David to Solomon, and then Solomon, of course, to where we're going to get to in just a few moments. But we think about this United Kingdom, there were still issues, there were still problems, but they were going to rule sort of under this uh, united role of these three kings, each reigning for 40 years. Now, let's go forward again to 1 Kings chapter 11, where I ask you to turn to to begin with. And as we think about Solomon, we didn't go into uh, great detail last week as we talked about it, but beginning in chapter 11 of 1 Kings, we see that King Solomon loved many foreign women, and we noticed that his heart was turned away at the end of 1 Kings 11 and verse number 3. His heart was turned away. That seems like a very small part to read. We talked last week about how big of a deal it was. But look at verses 11 through 13 and you'll see exactly how big of a deal that it was. Because the Lord then says to Solomon, because of this marrying many foreign wives and his heart turning away... Because you have done this, verse 11, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will, not, I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Now, you go over to chapter 12, and this is where it occurs. We go from the united kingdom to the divided kingdom. 
All right, again, just a bit of a history lesson, but it's very important. In chapter 12, this occurs, and it comes to pass in verse number 20, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam, I don't know if you've ever gotten confused on these names, but Jeroboam, who is the servant, we just read those words. God said to Solomon, I will take the kingdom out of your hand and give it to your servant. Jeroboam, with a J, Jeroboam is his servant. Jeroboam is going to rule over the northern kingdom of Israel. Again, if you have your Bible open, 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 20. But then you go down to verse 21 and you see a second name, and that is Rehoboam. And now we just noticed from the reading that the kingdom was going to be divided, split into two. (coughs) Jeroboam is in the northern kingdom, ruling over most of the people. Rehoboam, his son, is in the southern kingdom, also called Judah, to reign over a smaller portion. But there is this division. Now, the first thing that Jeroboam does, continuing on in chapter 12, beginning in verse 25, is he sets up these two areas in which the people can go worship. Dan and Bethel are the two places in verse number 29. And he sets up these golden calves. Now, if you really know anything about Bible history, you know that the golden calves, anytime you see that, probably not a good thing, right? It doesn't usually work out well for the people when they have these golden calves because they're set up as idols. And it's even what we talk about today sometimes. It's even the same problem. What Jeroboam did essentially was he said, you know what? Having to come to one place to worship, it's just too hard. It's just too hard for you people, so let's make it easier. Let's make it more convenient for you. And so we're going to set up these two places in Dan and in Bethel with these golden calves. And if you want to worship, you can go worship there. I'm not saying that everything easy is always evil, because it's not. We spend a lot of our lives trying to make things easier, and that's not a problem necessarily. But sometimes when we try to make things about what we want, and we try to make things easier for ourselves, it's not always necessarily what God wants. Jeroboam said, well, I'm making a decision that's going to be too hard for you. I want to make it easier. Let's make these unauthorized, if you will, places. And he sets up these idols. Now, The interesting thing about that is this begins a tragic cycle in the northern kingdom, especially, of 19 kings. And all 19 kings are evil. I don't know that it's all Jeroboam's fault, right? Because everybody's got a choice. A new king comes along and he doesn't have to do exactly what the king before him did. But all 19 kings in the northern kingdom are evil. And a lot of times it's said that they walked in the ways of Jeroboam. So again, let me encourage you, and I know I won't be able to tell you this today, but I begin over in chapter 14 in my Bible, and again, I heard this suggested one time, but listing and numbering each king and whether they were the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom and whether they were good or bad. Now, I've already given you a clue. When it comes to the northern kingdom, they're all bad. But when it comes to the southern kingdom, there are some good ones, and that's a whole other story for another time. But it's pretty interesting. It's always helped me because I go through my Bible now in 1 Kings, and I see a 1N, and then a 1S, and then a 2N, and a 3N, and a 2S. And I know which one is which king and where they go, and whether they are good or bad. Again, if you like to make notes, it's just an interesting thing that you can do there. So we begin and we move forward. If you have your Bible there, 1 Kings 15, 1 Kings 16, and we've got king after king. And a lot of times it's very short. 
We don't read very much about them. In fact, look in 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse number 25. We've already talked about the first kings, Jeroboam, Rehoboam. Let's go to 1 Kings, 20, 1 Kings 15 and verse 25. Now Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, so it's just a son, right? That often is what happens, takes over for Jeroboam. He became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. But here's the key, verse 26. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. So let's back up here and notice that this is said not only about Jeroboam, of course, he set up the golden calves, but also about number two. And we won't have time to read each verse, but you look in verses 33 and 34 of chapter 15, it's said about number three. Evil in the sight of the Lord walked in the ways of Jeroboam. And it's not said, but about verse, I mean, about king number four, about king number five, and so on and so forth. It continues to emphasize that they were evil. They were evil by not doing what God said. They were evil by walking in the ways of Jeroboam. But then we come to number six, Omri. And that begins in verse number 21 of chapter 16. We come to Omri. And it's said about Omri in verse 25 of 1 Kings 16. Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. You ever used that phrase before? You ever talked about anybody that way? Boy, you are simply the worst. You're the worst that I've ever seen. And Omri is exactly that. By inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that Omri did worse than all who were before him. Continuing on to verse 26, he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam. He continued in this sin. He provoked the Lord God of Israel to, to anger with his idols. But now, we're to where we want to be to set the stage truly for the rest of the day. Because beginning in 1 Kings 16 and verse 29, we meet a man by the name of Ahab. Now, spoiler alert for all you kids, you need to remember that, all right? For questions and games and the lessons, we're going to learn about old King Ahab. But question for you to think about. If I ask you, who's the worst leader that you can think of? Who's the worst person that you could think of, the worst leader of people, right? Now, most of you who are of age, a lot of us would say somebody like Hitler, right? Somebody like that. A lot of us would say maybe some kind of evil dictator who's ruled in this world. Some of us might even say somebody like Osama bin Laden, a little more current, who, who led people to do evil and much destruction. If I ask you who was truly the worst leader that you could think of. Maybe you think of a boss that you had before, somebody who really struggled and, and wasn't very good at their job at, at what they did. You might think of several different people. We've already mentioned what it says about Omri, but look in verse number 30 of 1 Kings 16 and notice about Ahab, the son of Omri, that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And notice it's a little different, more than all who were before him. I don't believe that it is said again. Here's the interesting thing that I can find in my Bible, at least kind of doing some quick looking. I don't believe that this is said again about anybody else in the Bible. There is another person later. There's another king that it says that, that he had done as much evil as somebody else. But I don't think it's said in this context in this way. All the kings so far have been bad. 
Omri had been bad, worse than all of them, but we come to Ahab, and I don't think you could find somebody much worse than Ahab. You see, we have a problem sometimes in our lives of, of you know, recency bias. You know, we think about Hitler, we think about Osama bin Laden, and we say, oh, they're, they're the worst, because nobody that we see about before them could, be, could have been that bad, because we witness it, or we see it, or we, we read about it more than we do other things. But can I, can I tell you that I think Ahab may have just been the worst, the worst that there ever was. And I don't believe that it's said again. And it's with this in mind, it's within this context, and beginning in 1 Kings 16, verses 29 through 33, and even notice 34, but notice verse 33, and Ahab made a wooden image, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Everyone who's going to come after him in the northern kingdom is evil, but I don't think we meet anybody much worse than Ahab. And so here's the encouragement for you. we got a, a few more minutes here in the lesson, but here's the encouragement as we think about the rest of the day. This is what Elijah is up against. This is what Elijah is up against. This is what he's going to have to face. Can you imagine facing someone who was the most evil person that the world has ever seen? And I even tell you, as we went last week back to Genesis, then when it says that everyone on the face of the earth, besides, of course, Noah and his family, were, were only doing whatever their heart could think of, only doing evil continually, I think it was really bad. I think about anything we can imagine was probably a part of that. But we may have truly met the worst of the worst with King Ahab, and that is what Elijah is facing. Now, I don't want to get into every single story we're going to talk about this afternoon, but one of the stories deals with the fact that Elijah felt very alone. And so as we do kind of make a little bit of application, or I ask you to think for just a few moments, can you put yourself in Elijah's position for just a second and think about being that person? That person who is all alone, feels all alone, up against the worst evil the world has ever seen. And, and I got two, two other points for you here, two other questions and us, for us to think about. Number one with Elijah, he has a ministry in a time of idolatry. Elijah's going to have a ministry in a time of idolatry. That's what Elijah had. Do we have a ministry in a time of idolatry? Certainly so. We often point out that maybe it's not so much about the little gold statues that sit in a temple or the little gold statues that sit on our shelf at home. But we are ministers, we are workers, we are Christians in a time of idolatry. There's idolatry all around us. You can drive down the road... Yesterday, you can drive down the road today and you can see people and their idols. Now, as Christians, we're certainly not immune to it. Just because you're here this morning doesn't mean you don't maybe have idols in your life, myself included, that we may not fall prey or succumb to having idols in our life, whether it's our money or our stuff. Or by the way, as we've talked about before, even our own family, even our own kids can become our idols. Even our spouses can become our idols if they are in the place of God. Can I challenge you, first of all, as you think about Elijah today, to realize that Elijah had a ministry in a time of idolatry. What's the difference between that time and 2022? Not a, not a lot. Not very much. We may not have this face of evil like he had with Ahab, but there's certainly a lot of work to be done, and we certainly can feel alone as well sometimes. And then number two, Elijah's going up against the evil of evils, right? The evil of all evils. 
And I would suggest to you again that very often today we sometimes lament and sit around and moan and groan and say, there is nothing worse than what we face today. I appreciate the prayers, Brother Joe's prayer and others. We talk about the fact that we live in a very blessed country. And we're thankful to have what we have, to the things that we have, the, the relative ease with which we're able to live. But the problem is that then we become comfortable. We set up our own idols. We make comfort our idol. Well, you know, it's really hard to have to go to VBS, or it's really hard to have to wake up and go to Bible class, or it's really hard to have to go to that men's devotional or ladies' devotional. It's really hard to have to go to worship services. I think I'll just take it easier on myself and do something that's not so hard sometimes. Elijah faced the evil of all evils. Sometimes we look around us in our country, and we face a lot of evil. And it's easy then, again, myself included, to sit back then and say, well, you know what? We're just kind of outnumbered. We're outgunned. We're outmanned. There's not a lot that we can do. Maybe we'll just kind of just live day to day and we'll do our best to get to heaven and we'll just try to avoid all the evil that's around us. Friends, we've got a lot of work to do, just like Elijah did. Again, myself included, saying, I know that sometimes I need to be better at not worrying so much about the evil of all evils, but simply continuing to follow God continuing to reach out to encourage other people so that we don't feel alone, so that we don't set up these idols, and that we are able to be faithful to him. That is the foundation for Elijah and Elisha. You, if you have your Bible still open there, you'll notice in chapter 17 and verse number 1 that we don't know much about Elijah. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab. What a, what a beginning. What a place to start right there. Elijah, we don't know much about him. Elisha, we know maybe a little bit more, but we don't have this great history. They're not this great person that was raised up, and we know all about their, their heritage and where they came from and how they were trained in the best schools, and they've got the best tactics, and they're the strongest people. Elijah the Tishbite simply comes on to speak for God as a prophet, and he goes to Ahab, and he gets to talking, and he gets to telling him what he needs to do. You pick up there, and if your Bible has headings, you'll see some of the stories we're going to talk about. Elijah and the drought. <clears throat> Excuse me. Elijah and the widow. Mount Carmel in chapter 18, one of the great stories. And, of course, we're going to skip over some of this until we come to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 2, and Elijah is no more, and Elisha is then going to come onto the scene. That's the foundation. And I just wanted to talk about that for a few moments because that's what we're going to focus on the rest of the day. Now, before we conclude, <clears throat> let's talk about our sign here for just a moment. Because the theme of the day is our big God. Our God is so big. <clears throat> and it's the same God that Elijah served. You see, that's the beautiful part of today. Because we know that those things that were a long time ago, these miracles, these periods of miracles, there's going to be a number that you'll hear at one point today, a number of miracles that were done between Elijah and Elisha. A lot. A lot more than we would commonly see sometimes in the Old Testament. Done kind of in one short period. All these miracles. Why is that? It's because our God is so big. How is it that Elijah was able to face this ministry in a time of idolatry? How is it that Elijah was able to face the evil of evils? It's because our God is so big. When we begin to make application for ourselves, we think about the fact that no matter what we face, Elijah faced a lot as well. He was able to live through that and to continue to speak the message of God, and we can today as well. See, our God is so big that he's the God that created the universe. He's the God that destroyed the world, even just a few chapters later. 
He's the same God who then parted the sea. He's the same God who then did everything else that we read about on the pages of our Bible. He's the same God that's still ruling today. We can take comfort and peace in that. We can learn from the lives of Elijah and Elisha about our big God and how no matter what we face, whether it is the evil of all evils in some figurehead or some person, or whether it's just idolatry, or whatever it may be in this country, we can truly face it together and with God on our side. You see, he's bigger than any other God. That's one of our themes. He's bigger than our thoughts. He's bigger than me alone. He's big enough to provide, and he answers prayers in a big way. Those are kind of the five themes that you'll see as you hear the lessons, especially our young people as they go and they hear the stories. Our God is so big that he's able to do all those things. He's bigger than our thoughts. He's bigger than us. But that's not necessarily meant to be scary. That's meant to be comforting. Now, I'm going to ask you to pause there. And if you want to put your Bibles up, you can go ahead and do that. If you want to get your songbook out, you can go ahead and do that because we're about to conclude this lesson and you see, we already said it, but we don't live under the Old Testament. We don't live under the old law. But it points the way toward Christ. And we're about to sing this song in just a moment that emphasizes that fact, do you know my Jesus? You see, even in the stories of Elijah and Elisha are pointing towards the coming Christ. It's coming, pointing towards the fact that our God is so big that he can send his only begotten son and he can be crucified and he can be raised from the dead and then we can participate with him in that. We can be put to death. We can be buried. We can be raised. Do you know my Jesus? It's a little different than Elijah and Elisha, but yet it's the same big God that we serve who made a way of salvation possible for us. We're about to sing this song this morning that if you're a child of God or not a child of God and you want to become a Christian, if you want to serve the great God of heaven, we'll be singing in just a moment to encourage you that you would come to know Jesus, but not just know of him and not even just believe, but confess him as Lord, repent of your sins and be willing to be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins so that the Lord can add you to his church. If you're here this morning and you've done that, but maybe you've wandered away. Maybe the idolatry, idolatrous ways of our country, of our world have gotten you down. Maybe it's the evil of all evils that has gotten you down. Maybe it's the fact that we can't always see and touch God that we then turn our backs on Him. And you need to be reminded of the great God that we serve and you want to come back to Him to make your life right so that you can think about that great home that is prepared and that you can have a home in heaven if you'll be faithful to Him, faithful just as Elijah and Elisha were faithful as many people of this great congregation have been for so many years and faithful as we are all striving to be. If you're here this morning, you're not a child of God, why not become one? If you're here this morning, and you've wandered away, why not come back to our big God and serve him? If you need to make a change, do so now as we stand together and as we sing.